I served in Vietnam. I served in Iraq. No matter where you served or when, VA has benefits for veterans of every generation. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. everybody. I am Timothy Lawson, your host for This Week at VA. November is an exciting month as we prepare to celebrate Veterans Day, the Marine Corps birthday, and Native American Heritage Month. We'll be sure to recognize each of those here on the podcast in the following weeks. This week's episode brings us a feature interview with Army veteran Fred Wellman, resources for veteran entrepreneurs, and our veteran of the day, John Kamen. But first, I want to tell you about an important resource at your healthcare center your patient advocate. The patient advocacy program is for all veterans and their families who receive care at Veterans Health Administration facilities and clinics. We want to be sure that you have someone you can go to with your concerns in a timely manner and to help you receive care. When we receive concerns via social media, the first thing we ask the customer is, have you spoken with your patient advocate? If you don't know who your patient advocate is, simply ask for them at your facility and introduce yourself. Make that connection early and trust in them to help address your concerns. Our interview for episode three is with Army veteran Fred Wellman. Fred is currently the founder and CEO of Scout Comms and works primarily in the veteran space. He's going to share with us the challenges and struggles he had after retiring from the Army and starting his own business. He also provides great insight for veterans re-entering the job market. Enjoy. All right, VA family, uh, I'm here with Army veteran Fred Wellman. Sir, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure, Tim. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, of course. Uh, you and I have rubbed shoulders uh, a couple times in the past, once at the SVA conference. Um, I think we've run into each other at VA uh, headquarters, and I think we were even at a uh, mutual friends going away or something like that. We have yep. to run into each other, but uh, still haven't really gotten a chance to get to know you. Um, so I'm probably just as familiar with you as maybe the audience is. So let's get to know you as a veteran first. Uh, let's go all the way back to that decision to join the military. Cause that's the one thing so many of us have in common. Uh, what, what drove you to make that decision? Well, you know, I, I like a lot of us, I grew up in a military-based, um, with a, the military kind of mentality. And my, my, both of my uncles, my mom's brother and my dad's brother passed away in service, uh, one in Korea with the Marines and one in the Air Force and a, a, a bomber crash. So it, it's just sort of been the family legacy. And I was the last of four kids. And uh, so I grew up with an eye on my whole life of, of military service, possibly as one of my best options. I always wanted to fly. Um, and so as I got older and, and got closer to going to college, I stumbled onto the, the military academies. And um, after looking at all the military academies, I applied to West Point, got in in 1983 and graduated in 1987 as a second lieutenant. Uh, I was commissioned as, a, of all things, an aviator. So I ended up flying scout helicopters in the Army. Mm -hmm. When you graduated, I was two years old. Ah, thanks for thanks for making me feel older. I appreciate that. I mean, you know, my wife last night was mentioning how gray my beard has gotten. I'm like, well, thank you. Thanks for pointing that out, honey. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just I like to make my guests feel comfortable. Yeah, well, you know, it's good to be old. <laughs> still here, right? I'm still above ground. Right, exactly. You know, when you look back at your military career, you did. I mean, you retired from the military, so you did your full uh, set of service. You had. 
four uh, combat deployments. Is that right? Yeah, I, I actually have a weird. I have a weird career. I wasn't. It wasn't just a straight. You know, twenty two. I, 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 I. Yeah, I did deploy. Uh, my first tour in the army after flight school was in Korea, and I came back with the twenty fourth Infantry Division at Fort Stewart. Uh, I was based on our airfield, uh, so I took a, a scout platoon of helicopters to Desert Storm um, and Desert Shield uh, with the Apaches there. Fought the last battle of the war, as a matter of fact, um, and then. Um, Served a total of 13 years that first time, and when we were living in Atlanta and I was working at 3rd Army Headquarters, I actually resigned my commission and uh, joined the reserves in, uh, in, in early 2000. Uh, so I spent a year and a half as a reservist uh, working at Forces Command Headquarters, was my, my drill site, and um, got involved in like local politics down in Georgia, the whole nine yards. And when 9-11 hit, um, I was actually running for mayor of a small town called Peachy City, Georgia, and I got mobilized that very day um, on 9-11, or called uh, came to work the, like two days after 9-11 to work a shift in the, the Crisis Action Center at Forces Command Headquarters and got mobilized. I got put on two-year orders uh, right then. And my wife and I sat down not long after, and I said, you know, we're, we're going to war. Um, I'm a soldier. She said, yep, I know you are. And, I, and she says, I know you want to go back in. So I actually called up the Army and volunteered to come back regular Army. Uh, and so I joined the 101st Airborne in um, almost just, just about a year after 9-11, uh, August of 2002. Uh, I returned to the 101st Airborne as a Blackhawk pilot and uh, operations officer. So I ended up doing Iraq 1 with the 101st, and then I went back as a public affairs officer two more times. This is a question I really enjoy asking veterans that experienced the military both before and after 9-11 because I think there's uh, so much – Interesting experience there. Can yeah. you just discuss briefly the change in climate in the military from before 9-11 and after 9-11 and what you saw? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's actually one of the reasons I left the Army, to be candid with you, at the 13-year mark. I, you know, we were, I, I'd done, I'd done, I had that, that, that cathartic experience as a young officer um, to lead men in combat, tough combat. Uh, Desert Storm um, you know, doesn't really get credit for how, what a tough fight it was, certainly for my unit. I lost two of my men um, in a helicopter crash uh, during the air war. So um, the, the, the peacetime, you know, 1999-2000 time frame, it, it just become a little bit um, – Underwhelming, I hate to say. You know, we, you know, we were worried about things like making PowerPoint briefings on time, and you know, and and, and it just wasn't, it wasn't firing me up anymore. And then, of course, post nine eleven, we had a real, we had a mission. Everything had a mission. You know, it was such a different environment for those those the second ten years of my service, which was, you know, we had one eye all the time on the fact that it, that we were going to deploy. I mean, I did what three tours, virtually a year on year off, um, were my tours, and I think that really changed the military. But it, it really diversified the military. I mean, one of the things I noticed the most about by the time I retired in, um, in you know, six years ago, seven years ago, was you know how diverse we were. We really brought in um, this new generation of, of service-minded um, young soldiers and service members uh, that I don't, I'm not actually sure it's, it was the same. It was really remarkable to see the diversity of thought and the diversity of backgrounds that rushed to the sound of the guns and, and joined us um, to serve their nation after 9-11. So it was, it's inspiring to me. I, I am, I'm just a huge fan of the millennial generation. I'm a huge fan of the young soldiers I, I had the privilege to lead uh, after 9-11, and I, I continue to be in awe of them today uh, and working in the veteran sector. Yeah, I, you know, Fred, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because this is something that I have been uh, 
vocal enough about in I think that my generation's best contribution to society today is that decade of service from 2001 to 2011 and how many different people joined the military, how many different people got that experience and then came out of the military and used that experience plus their own unique uh, personalities and characters and use that to benefit society. And I think that, um, you know, I don't want to say that, you know, the war did us good, but I think that that uh, allowed so many different people to get that unique experience, to get like the leadership and, and everything that comes with serving the military and come back and even be a bigger impact to society than they, than they may have already been if they hadn't done that. And I think that, um, you know, I, you and I both serve with people of different different races, genders, religions, and like after 9-11, it was, you had one mission and that's what you focused on. Yeah. And I think even and in and, and this you know tumultuous political time, what was remarkable to me is the diversity of political thought. I mean, let's be honest. We us, us old timers are all considered pretty conservative and blah blah blah. What I love seeing is is young men and women who would not have typically joined, I think, in the old days, but they they want to serve. They, they saw people like me. I mean, look at my military experience. I was a pilot, but what I'm known for is stuff that had nothing to do with you know boots on the ground in a certain sense. I I spent most of that first tour once we reached um, Q West Air Base which is where I was stationed, which, of course, has been the news lately. Um, when we reached Q West, I stumbled into running civil affairs. Uh, I spent a good chunk of my first tour of combat after the, the fight, after we took down um, the, the regime, <laughs> building schools. I mean, my organization, my, my brigade, my battalion, and I, we ended up building like 20 schools, two clinics, you know, <laughs> you know yeah, I, I eating, eating a lot of sheep. I mean, it's a remarkable, uh, Iraq was such a remarkable, especially Iraq was such a remarkable combat experience in the sense of, you know, Everybody who served there had a very different experience. My experience involved actually sitting with local Iraqis and learning about their culture and, 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 and building things, rebuilding their country. And, and I think we saw a lot of young men and women who saw that and said, you know, this is an opportunity for me to do more than, um, you know, not, not just, not just you know, staying at home and, and serve. I can do something bigger. And I think that's, that's a remarkable thing. And, and I do say that, you know, war is a unique thing. It's such a cathartic experience um, for everyone who experiences. And again, it all comes out different. I, I, one of my jokes that people hear all the time is, and I stole from the, I stole from the autism world, by the way, is, you know, when you've met one veteran, you've met one veteran. <laughs> and, and, and because I, when people try to block us all together as a, as a single entity, you know, with 20.9 million of us and, of course, some three and a half million of us that served in combat after 9-11, we, we've all got such unique experiences, but that's the one thing you do see that binds us, the spirit of service and the, the spirit of giving. And uh, I tell you, I, I have just nothing but admiration for those who, who, who rushed to the sound of the guns uh, and continue to serve today. You had sort of a mini transition out before 9-11. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, you retired after 9-11. Yeah. I'm curious to know what the differences and challenges that those two had comparatively one thing that we've definitely noticed in reflecting on the past 10, 15 years is that veterans have had a, a, a very uh, strong difficulty transitioning out of the military because that mission is so strong and inherent um, you know, during the Iraq and Afghanistan wars that that transitions harder because the mission's just not inherently there. And I'm wondering if maybe the when you transit when you sort of did your mini transition during peacetime, if that was almost easier to manage because it looked a little bit more like real life. What are your thoughts there? Well, yeah, that's a great question. One I've never been hit before. I, I love that. That's such a great question because I do have the unique experience of having um, quit twice and it only took once. <laughs> I, say, I, I try to quit the army all the time, but it just never took. Um, and you can almost argue it happens. 
still to this day. Um, it's funny. I, I would. That's the unique thing about the two differences. So I got out the first time in uh, essentially 1999, early 2000, and then I got out the second time. I retired in um, 2000, late 2009, 2010. So you know, by by the time I retired retired, there was, a, you know, just such a wide breadth of, of opportunities and recognition of what veterans brought to, the, brought to the table. Just to be candid, the second time was much easier. The first time, I know it, it, it was really hard to explain to post potential employers what we brought to the table as, as veterans in 1999. They just didn't know us. I mean, believe it or not, as much as we talk about the civil military divide, I think in 1999, people really had no idea what we do, right? I mean, at least today, as some understanding after all these years of war, um, I, I remember it distinctly. The idea that I would make as much money as I made as a young major in the civilian world um, was was stupid. I had a, a guy tell me that um, if he was going to pick a guy who had you know 13 years of experience, you know, mine, I might as well just be right out of college with my 13 years because I've been I haven't been really doing any real work, <laughs> which was news <laughs> to me. Which was, yeah, I was like, wow, that's news to me. I I, I was I thought I was really busy that whole time, but <laughs> um, you know, and, and and you know, for me, what I ended up doing was um, I ended up being a, so I was an aviation officer, um, and most of my time was spent doing staff jobs like every young officer, young field grade officer. So I ended up getting a job as a project manager. And what I did, I had to go out and find, I actually what took a civilian community college course on, on project management, the civilian model of project management. I had to read you my whole <laughs> resume to look like a civilian project management you know, resume. And then I was lucky and I stumbled onto uh, a company that had an executive VP who was an old Navy fighter pilot. And so he kind of got it. Um, but I, I would honestly say the tools I had available to me, I mean, I didn't take a single transition class. I didn't file for VA um, or anything. I got out at 13 with nothing. I, I had nothing for the military when I got out. Um, flash forward 2010, um, I retire. I had, even then was TAPS. TAPS was, was, was not great, but it wasn't bad. I took the classes. Um, you know, I, I learned a lot. People, people at least when I went, approached them for work, they knew I was actually sought out by someone. Um, the job I got, I was actually pursued for it. I didn't, I didn't necessarily seek it out per se. Um, you know, so that was really, the two, the two transitions were remarkably different. I do think we're doing it better today. Uh, and there's certainly a ton more resources available to today's veteran than there ever were, uh, in the, in the, in the old days. And that, that's a significant difference I think I think it's it's easy having experienced both I think it's such a great question is having seen both and people look at me like I'm crazy and I tell them that like look you know you have no idea how much easier it is and they look at me like I'm nuts because we all heard the horror stories how hard it is to transition I'm like dude back in 99 you know I had to explain I had to explain what an officer was I mean I had to explain I remember explaining to an, a, a, a hiring person the difference between what an officer did every day and I, I mean literally oh my favorite one back in <laughs> my favorite one in 99 was a Vietnam vet actually but you know he did like it was like a from Vietnam, telling me that he ha- I had to understand that as a project manager, consultant like I was going to be, that I wasn't going to have some clerk following me around to do all my typing for me. <laughs> right? And I'm like, uh, dude, you know, I, was, I was at the time a three-star general's like PowerPoint guy, right? And I'm like, I think you're confused. In today's army, it's the majors that do all the typing. <laughs> you know? And it was just remarkable, these, these beliefs that somehow I had like some corporal clinger following me around everywhere to, you know, to do all my work for me. But uh, but again, I think we, we do face a situation now where people are, are better aware of what the military brings to the table and what a veteran's experience is. Well, we have a ways to go. Um, but I do believe when you look at the high, you know, the unemployment rate right now, I mean, what, 4%, um, that tells you that 
clearly um, our peers are finding a place for themselves in the civilian world. My father retired from the Navy in 1999, and uh, it was a challenge for my family because, like I said, there just wasn't a whole lot of resources out there. Even the transitional program back then was more like how to make a resume unless here are all the resources you can use. And I think one of the biggest differences that I see now versus what my dad experienced, so comparing my dad's retirements and, and me getting out of the Marine Corps, is there were more people ahead of me that got out that as soon as they heard that I I got out fed me information right and I, I don't think that's something that my dad experienced when he when he retired yep no I think you're absolutely right I mean that's the thing it's there's just so such a cacophony of research and frankly you know that's kind of, in many ways that's a big chunk of my business at Scoutcoms is sorting through this 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 wave sorting through this cacophony of opportunities for our veterans picking out the good programs and helping those good programs reach their target audience and actually make a difference there are many good programs that frankly suffer because people have never heard of them um, I mean I can't tell you how often I stumble onto a new nonprofit or a new corporate uh, uh, some great American corporations offering programs that are dying on the vine for nothing else than lack of awareness with, among their target audience. Um, so it really is. Um, I mean, think about that the dichotomy of that from when, like I said, when I got out in '99, where I mean, I was literally having to explain to you know headhunters and all that I, I you know what I brought to the table, and that being told to expect at least a 25 to 30 percent pay cut from a, being a major in the army because there's there people just don't recognize our experience as being valuable. Um, um, so it's it's really um, candidly that's why you know I joke all the time. I, the only reason I was in the army again was I joined the reserves because I needed extra money. Um, I took a pay cut, and that that six hundred bucks a month as a major in the reserves made a huge difference in our family budget. Yeah, what do you what do you miss the most about the army? You know, it's it's funny. Uh, people ask me all the time, and, and I'm very blessed because I still work within our circles. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate to to still be a veterans advocate and still work with um, my peers in the military um, to this day. For me, a lot of times, you know, people say, "Oh, the camaraderie and all." Like, yeah, that's true. But I was a field grade officer. There's also a lot of, you know, <laughs> it's a little bit of a Lord of the Flies sometimes in that line of work. Uh, <laughs> To be candid, it's funny. I tell people all the time is, is getting up and putting the American flag on my shoulder. I mean, there was – I can't tell you the amount of pride that was within me um, when I when I pulled that uniform on. Um, and there was a flag on my right shoulder. There was, a, at the time, a 101st Airborne Screaming Eagle combat patch that I was very proud of. I had a Ranger tab. There's something that, that makes you your spine straighten. Um, there's something that makes your chin go higher um, when you're given the, the good fortune to wear the American flag as a professional representative of the United States um, every day. And so that was the, the – the, to me, that's what I think about a lot is I look at my son. My son's in the Army now. He's at, the, uh, he's at Fort Bragg. And uh, – and I, my chin goes up when I see him in uniforms. I know this is this is someone who's dedicated their life to a service of themselves. So yeah, I, I think I, I often feel that way. It's like I, I kind of I love what I do, but there was just something about that you know buttoning up that ACU or you know zipping up that uniform. Um, Fitting into a flight suit, I miss that. Uh, <laughs> I would never fit in one now. Uh, you know, the, and of course, when I was flying, the idea of, of strapping yourself onto uh, to a machine that was going to take you and do incredible adventures, and, and the things I saw. I mean, I tell people, you know, one of the things I loved about, especially combat and where I served, um, as dangerous and, and, and crazy as it is, you, you every now and then. I mean, I still call myself a kid from Missouri. I grew up in a small town of Missouri, and I still sit back sometimes. I remember many times, like. You know, flying where I'd sit back in the, in the cockpit, kind of look, just look, and go, my God, I, I, I'm 
I get to see this. You know, I just I thank God every day that I put the uniform on, so I get to be a part of this moment in history. And I remember even as a public affairs officer being in meetings with General Dempsey. I remember a remarkable meeting where um, um, uh, Don Rums, Mr. Rumsfeld, came to visit us in, in Baghdad, and um, it was all the deputy secretaries and undersecretaries. It was all the generals in Iraq, and me and one other lieutenant colonel. That was it. It was, like, <laughs> and, and he and I are both. He's taking notes, and I'm sitting there going, "Crap, this is like I got to write this down. This is huge." <laughs> You know, I was really fortunate to, you know, I worked for General David Petraeus uh, when he was a lieutenant general. I've known him for many years. He was my professor at West Point. You know, those moments where you you work for somebody like that and, and you're in the room, you know, like the Hamilton, right? You know, you know, be in the room where it happened. And, and I really do count my blessings that for many, especially the latter part of my career, there, there were a lot of times that I was fortunate to be that guy in the room where it happened. Uh, and I'm, I'm able to take that and treasure those memories. So entrepreneurship is one that has been consistent in the veteran space. In fact, yeah. uh, just more, just over 49% of World War II vets went on to own or operate their own business, which is huge. And that has been something that I've seen be very common, even though it's less so now, it's still common in the uh, Iraq and Afghanistan war veterans uh, coming home, starting their own business. Yeah. How, did, how did you get interested in entrepreneurship and what were some of the resources you used to learn? <laughs> about that space. I'm a horrible example. So uh, I am an entrepreneur because I got fired from my first job after the army, right? It's a really cool <laughs> story. It's very, you know, it's a very inspiring story. I, you know, I, I joined a firm um, after I left the army. It was a small, I, I picked a smaller uh, communications firm. I believed I would learn more in a smaller environment. I did. Um, unfortunately, it, was, it wasn't a great fit um, for us professionally, which I think is a common phrase, we, a common refrain we hear quite a bit. M- one of my clients actually about two and a half years ago with uh, Syracuse University and and a company called Vet Advisor. Um, we actually did a survey and found that in our survey, um, fourteen hundred veterans, that forty five percent of veterans leave their first job within the first year after after leaving the military. So that's something we've heard anecdotally, and that was one of those. I'm, I'm one of the forty five percent. It it just um, it wasn't a great fit for either her, my, my my company or I. So I struck out fully conscious that as a fancy West Point and Harvard graduate, I would find a job within days because I'm so cool, and that was not happening. <laughs> I was uh, you know I got I got I found myself in the job market in October 2010. And, um, right in the height of the recession, especially here in Washington, um, my industry, the, the public relations industry, doesn't tend to hire that time of year because it's sort of the end of the year and contracts are wrapping up. So I was really in a bind. Uh, I had four kids. I had a brand new house I just bought. So um, I interviewed with everybody. And, and what happened was, was I noticed as I interviewed these large PR firms that there wasn't any veterans. That very few of the large agencies that we all know and love have um, veterans on their team, which is there's a host of reasons for that, um, and so I, the seed corn grew in my head of of being that guy, um, and so I had the good fortune. It's kind of a funny story. I interviewed with the company, the the guy that interviewed me, the COO was a, a veteran of Israeli Air Force of all things, and um, so I interviewed two pilots in an interview. It was mostly inappropriate stories and cussing, <laughs> and uh, as we walked out, he said, "You know, Fred, what's your what's your goals? What's your long term goals?" I said, "Well, I want to you know, join a good firm like yours." up, maybe become a partner, take over, maybe start my own someday. He's like, well, why don't you start your own company now? He goes, nobody's hiring. I mean, even we are barely hiring. I said, as you know, honestly, David, I said, I don't really know where I was in the Army 22 years. I was, I was, you know, in a, a small firm for a year that I really didn't, you know, get a lot of control over things. I said, I don't even know what right looks like to start a company. And he 
She goes, let me tell you something. None of us know what the F we're doing. <laughs> if, you wait, if you wait till you know what right looks like, you'll never start. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's fair advice. So I, I drove back to Stafford County, Virginia and uh, from D.C., and I told my wife, I said, hey, we're going to start our own company. She's like, great. What are you going to call it? I said, oh, Scout Comms. I used to be a scout, and I do comms. Scout Comms. <laughs> yeah, it was available on every social media channel. And um, my, journey, my journey to entrepreneurship was, I, I call myself very much an accidental, accidental entrepreneur. And uh, I would love to have said I've taken all the wonderful training that I work with now. I work with IVMF at Syracuse and the EVV program. I work with Hiring Our Heroes. I work with um, a number of programs that are just remarkable. Unfortunately, I had four kids and a mortgage. <laughs> and so I went to the Stafford County Library and I checked out, I'm not making this up by the way, I checked out the book, How to Start a Business for Dummies. And uh, it, that's my education. I, I check it out because I couldn't afford to buy it. And uh, that was my Bible. And, um, and then I, I surrounded myself with mentors, um, fellow entrepreneurs, fellow CEOs, um, guys who had been doing it for a long time who were willing to give me their their advice, um, which is an amazing thing about being an entrepreneur is that there's so many peers who are willing, even people who would technically be competitors are, are often willing to sit down with me and say, here's how I'd do it, or hey, let's figure out how we can work together. How can I coach you and mentor you or help you? Uh, and then we built Scoutcoms from there, and um, I, I got I got a couple of really big breaks early, and uh, and we were able to build it from my, my unfinished basement to where we are today, which is eight employees. Um, six hour, six year anniversaries next month, actually. That's amazing. How old were you when you, when you first founded ScoutComs? Ah, oh, that's a great question. Um, Forty five years old. Okay, yep. I think that, that's that's a that's such an important thing to point out because I think people feel like their ship has sailed. Um, yeah. And they, yeah, uh, I think who um, Colonel Sanders was like in his fifties or even sixties yeah. maybe when he started KFC. Right. Um, it's, it's important to remember that entrepreneurship when uh, when you're inspired, it's never too late. And that's the thing, and, and that's we can't discount. And I'm not going to act like I had this really. It was so easy or or hard. I mean, I had certain very good things come my way. I, one of those, of course, is my Army retirement and and you at the VA. Um, the VA, the, really, the VA truly saved my bacon um, when I was dead broke <laughs> uh, because I finally filed my claim and, and God bless the VA, my claim was processed really fast, like four months uh, mine got turned. And that check um, truly well, bought bacon. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, it was, uh, I always joke that the VA truly saved, uh, in many ways, VA is uh, one of the step parents of ScoutComs as much as anyone because no other reason than being able to, you know, I was able to accept certain risks. I and mean, that's the other thing about being older. Um, the challenge is you have kids and mortgages and those kind of things that come with being older. I was very fortunate to have a, a great Army retirement. I had health care. I had a check, at least enough to buy food, if you will. Um, not enough to pay the mortgage, as it turned out, but I had food. And four kids are always hungry, as it turns out. Um, and 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 of course, as an older guy, I'm, I've, I've kind of seen some stuff. And as a veteran of combat, especially as aviation, you know, flying night vision goggles and combat, um, risk is a very relative term to me. I mean, I, I've I was actually dead broke. We, you know, one of our dirty family secrets that some people know is that um, when I got mobilized on 9/11, I was taken out of my civilian job put in the reserves that day and I was sent off to a conference and, and I, unfortunately I was in processed incorrectly and so I was entered uh, I had four kids and a mortgage in Georgia and I was entered like zero dependence zero you know single zero across the board right so yeah so no BAH no, so I was getting base pay basically as a major and, and unfortunately that 
you know, was about a about a fifty percent pay cut from what I'd been making as a civilian. And then my wife was a flight attendant with Delta. And so if you maybe people forget, everybody pretty much stopped flying for a while after nine eleven. So my wife was laid off. So our family income went from not bad to crap <laughs> in about a day thanks to 9-11 and uh and it, it did that train ended up putting us in we actually ended up having a, i was in combat and it's an embarrassing story but it's true i was in combat in 2003 when my wife had to go to the court and declare bankruptcy because we were dead broke from um being mobilized and being laid off at, at such a horrible time in our country's history so you know it's it's tough when i retired the second time uh when i retired we had the retirement check i had a little bit more education thanks to the army and some bright ideas of my bosses the I mean, to grad school. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not, I can't fool anybody and say I didn't come into this with certain tools that are not available to my peers. But that's also why many older veterans make, and especially retirees, do go into entrepreneurship. We, we do have sort of a safety net. I've, I've got, I had some health care, had a little bit of money trickling in, enough that I could pay some bills and kind of keep the, company, the family above, above water for a while until we figured it out. Um, and then, of course, just that stubborn persistence, which said, I'm not going to fail. I, I, this will succeed. Um, and, and here we are. And I, I got a couple of really good breaks early on that, that made this happen, made this come together. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you opening up about that because one thing I've realized in the veteran space, we know all of these challenges and issues inside the space, right? Suicide, depression, unemployment, homelessness, all this, all these problems that we know exist, but we never admit to each other that we have experienced those things. And when I started opening up about my uh, my run-in with suicide, of course, everybody around me is like, oh, yeah, me too. Yep. I've done that now with my the financial struggle that I had getting out of the military. I've done that with my uh, my close encounter with homelessness. And it's, it's amazing how every time I just mention it, at least two or three people are like, oh, yeah, me too. Yep. And, and it becomes so much easier to deal with and it becomes so much more reassuring to know – Okay, that person's also dealing with it, and they're not in a bad spot, or they, right. they dealt with it and they overcame it, and I think I can too. So I really appreciate you uh, sharing that with us. Yeah. Uh, another question I love asking people: What did you tell me about? Like a skill, a trait, a discipline, a routine, a habit that you had in the military that you've noticed is having a high contribution to your success now? Uh, that's a great. That's a great question. Um, for me, especially uh, as a former commissioned officer, it's the the ability to get dropped into a situation and quickly evaluate. It, it's that it's that mental planning process for me. You know, one of the things they start banging on you in the in the earliest training as a commissioned officer is the military planning process, right? You know, there's there's a certain there's it's laborious at first, you know, how to write an op order, how to write a mission statement, how to and and since so they start banging on your head, and then, and then I went, to, I had the good fortune to go to Ranger School as a young captain, uh, even. As an aviator, I got to go and 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 again, same thing at radio school. You, you're you're hammered in how to write an op order, but even even when you're on the fly, when you're sitting in the rain, you know, in a creek, you know, getting hand grenaded or mortared, <laughs> you still have this planning process, you know. And so, for me, it's been very helpful. Is <clears throat> no matter what what happens, I'm dropped into a situation. We go, okay, let's here's here, let's figure this out real quick. What are assets? What are the threats? Um, what's our mission statement? You know, uh, what's the commander's intent? Right, and, and you, you go through this process. Um, and it, it really does train your brain differently. Um, and because of that, because of that different way of thinking, which is constantly evaluating, constantly 
were saying, okay, the situation changed. Um, I had the good fortune to serve as the, the chief of, of future operations at Third Army headquarters. What a weird thing is that, right? In the old days, it was there was current ops and future op, or and, and plans, right? But my, my boss said, hey, Joe Franks, Tommy Franks, back as a three star, said, hey, there's this gap. I mean, plans are long term, current ops is today. I want this 24 to 48 or to you know 48, 80, you know 64 hours to be thought through. You know what. Today's fight is one thing, but what happens tomorrow's fight? So I was in charge of kind of thinking around the next corner. I go, well, the the fight goes this way. We have to go this way. And for me as an entrepreneur, I think the reason ScoutComs has survived is we started off with a mission. We started off with a concept. And then as we've grown, we've been able to say, all right, this isn't working. This is working. Pivot, pivot, pivot. And and where I see many of my peers fail in the entrepreneurship world is they're not willing to, to accept failure and move on. And, and a lot of times you talk about sunk cost, right? Well, you see this a lot in business where they say, well, look, I already dropped $60,000 in this storefront and, and, uh, yeah, it's, we're losing money on our foot, but if I, I, you know, it's sunk cost, we, we got let's keep going and we'll put more money in it. And, and it's sort of becoming the thing about us is, is, is as a military officer, especially as a combat officer, you're like, yeah, well, we lost that fight. So there's no going back. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, just, there is no, you know, we're not going to win. There's no sense of going high to little, keep on going with the middle. It's going to keep failing. So that fail fast mentality, which says, because we learned if you fail fast, if you fail, people die. And so we pivot. And I see it a lot in my most successful veteran, fellow veteran entrepreneurs is the ability to say, well, this isn't working. Let's go this way. Um, and then and, and not look back. Um, and, and I think that that's one of the reasons Scout comes to succeed over the years is we've, we've constantly said, all right, this worked, this didn't. Wait a minute. That was a stretch, and we, fa- and we have failed. I've, I've had clients. I've been fired, um, and I deserved it, um, <laughs> you know, and, and that's okay. You know, it's, it, it, it's nature of my business is sometimes it doesn't work with certain people or certain partnerships. But from that, I learned, here's what we're good at, here's what we're not, pivot. And that's how you know me at all, frankly. We, we had been doing defense work. We had been doing pretty much anything that had to do with the military. But none of our hearts really were in defense. I mean, I, I'm just not passionate about the defense industry. It's wonderful. I mean, I love people who work there. But, but for us, it, you know, there's, there's a ton of other PR firms that want to work in that sector. There's just, there's just a glut of, of fellow veterans working in that sector. But more and more of my work became veterans-focused. Our, our big break really came when an agency in New York called me, and, and their client had decided to focus exclusively on veterans housing. That client ended up being the the Home Depot Foundation, who at the time, yeah, and, and the Home Depot Foundation at the time decided to leave green housing as their focus and instead focus on veterans housing. And at the time, the, the reasoning was amazing. Um, if, if you know the history of the company, um, Frank Blake, who had been the CEO at the time, his son, Frank Blake Jr., was in the fourth ID um, in Tikrit. And, and, and so at the time, I think 1,100 or 1,200 Home Depot associates were actually deployed with the National Guard and the, and the reserves. They had lost uh, like a dozen of their associates when they deployed to combat. So there was this great passion uh, in, the, in the company. For, so that was sort of our big break in the veteran sector. And then more and more of my work became veterans-focused. And we made a very conscious decision three years ago to drop all of our other practices, not do defense, and just focus exclusively on veterans and military families. And, and we found a very nice niche for ourselves that at the time, and I think today, no one else fills. So it really did come back to that training as an officer to say, this works, this doesn't, go with where it works. You know, there's, there's no, yeah, you got three courses of action, but one's going to work. Pick the one that works and go with it. And if it works well, 
pile on, right? You know, it reinforces success. Not re- it's one thing you hear a lot in strategy, right? Don't reinforce failure, reinforce success. Just dedication to a mission focus on what we do and what we do well, being able to recognize changes quickly and, and, and adjust to those changes quickly. And I, 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 no question about that. Um, I am an entrepreneur and I and believe I, I, I don't, I'm even, <laughs> I'm hesitant to say I'm a successful entrepreneur. I'm not sure when I'll say that. <laughs> but to this point, I, you know, I don't want to rest on my laurels, right? We've had some success, I'll say it that way. Uh, but I do believe that is the case because of the fact that I was a military officer and I had this years of, 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 of challenges and training, incredible training, um, that has prepared me for these moments that I face sometimes where um, it gets a little ugly. You know, I, I, there's been days I've, I've missed paychecks. Um, that's one of the dirty secrets of being an entrepreneur. And if you're a former officer, the first thing that taught me at Westwood, one of the first things I remember was officers eat last. Um, so none of my employees have ever missed a paycheck. But I certainly have. And and that sort of comes with the territory. If you think, you know, I, I, I see so many people going on first, they're going to be millionaires. I'm like, yeah, good luck with that. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> um, actually it's a lot of grunt work. It's a lot of a lot of sleepless nights where you realize that, uh, gosh, the darkness. I, I'm, I'm droning. I apologize. But, you know, and we've lost, we lost, we had three clients wrap in one week one time. And it was shocking. Um, and it was, it was, it was a lot of money. Um about half our revenue uh, at the time in one week and for all different reasons. But um, I remember that weekend going, geez, I don't know how I'm going to make it. This happens. Um, dust myself off, get back up, and go back in the fight just like a soldier, right? There just, yeah. there just isn't time. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do have one more question that I know the audience will get some value out of. Um, and you mentioned earlier the stat that 45% of veterans will quit their first job out of the military within a year. Yep. And that's something that that happened to me. That happened to so many of my yeah. friends. And from all the conversations that I've had with veterans, I have realized that veterans are, and I think people in general, but veterans especially when they're trying to get that successful transition, will focus on jobs solely that they know they're qualified for and not necessarily ones that they would enjoy. And I think that that adds a little bit to the difficulty of staying within that first job or really understanding why you're there. Is that Am I, where do you think that fits? In, in, in the sense of, you know, where guys fit into the job market, what that means for them, how do they, how do they avoid that being that part of the 45%? Yeah, like for me, and, and in our survey, and then for me, um, it, the hardest thing to measure, I think, when you're looking for a job is the cultural fit, right? What is the culture of this company I'm joining? How do I fit into the culture of this company? And, and, and that's such a hard one to measure. And the, and the questions you have to ask of a potential employer are harder when it comes to cultural. But you, you'll kind of know. And there's a lot of self-awareness that goes into that. And, and, and part of that is my, my failure point, and I did fail, was recognizing that my sort of – how can I put it delicately – mavericky – Ask, ask questions. You know, I, I, you know, it's funny. I had this wonderful guidance when I was at West Point. I was a cadet at West Point, and uh, I, I didn't do great at West Point. Okay, I mean, I, I, I joke that I graduated in the top two thirds of my class, uh, <laughs> and so, and I remember my my tactical officer, which is like every company cadet has like this senior officer, the major captain who's like your advisor, and I remember my tac telling me, you know, Fred, that you don't fit in here. <laughs> I'm like, you, you get that too? He's like, no. <laughs> you know, I was like, and, and, you know, because I was constantly saying, well, it's great we've done this 200 years, but why are we still doing it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it was like, because we've always done it that way. Shut up, you know. And and so I always was that guy. And, and so in this case, and I remember him saying, this is great advice. He said, look, Fred, the great thing about the Army 
is that it's big enough that you can never fit in and have a successful career. All right. He said, you know, maybe not in the Marines, maybe not, you know, but they're smaller. But in the Army, that you can actually be a person who's constantly being that guy who's kind of going, wait a minute, and, and have a successful career. And successful means, you know, 20 years, whatever it may be. Um, you may not make general, you know, <laughs> um, and, and, and that's okay. And, and, and I was that way. I, I think I, I joke all the time that you know, one out of three bosses liked me. Uh, <laughs> luckily, there are guys like Petraeus, <laughs> you know, and, and, and others you've heard of since then. Um, but I think that was such an important part of my personality, and I don't think I recognized that and was able to recognize that in a potential employer, right? That I went to employers thinking, oh, I'll just fit right in. What's the big deal? When you realize that their corporate structure and their company culture wasn't big fans of being questioned, right? Or it wasn't the kind of place where we're looking to kind of um, flip the table, or um, collaborative approach. I mean, one of the things that we miss about the military service is that it's a very top-driven, follow my orders or go to hell situation. And, and anybody who's certain, I know you know, saw this, um, sure, is actually the military is one of the most collaborative leadership environments I've ever seen. That's why a battalion command, from battalion, even company commanders and, and above, even a, a young lieutenant in a platoon, what does he have? He has a platoon sergeant. And, and it's very rare that a platoon leader is going to make a decision without consulting his platoon sergeant, right? Or the squad leaders. It, it, is, it is the nature of our business that we're actually very collaborative. You know, battalions have entire staffs, you know, and the battalion commander, he doesn't, he doesn't just go off. He, he has his staff present three courses of action, right? Um, or as we joke, you know, when I was an officer, you know, two courses of action at work and one that's throwaway. <laughs> you know, but, but again, that collaborative thing, it's, it really isn't about a guy sitting in a room, like, giving orders and having her just chase off a phone. Really, and so I brought that to my uh, first company, and, and, and unfortunately, that environment wasn't as collaborative, if you will. Um, I remember my, my second day in a job, I literally dragged every person in the company into a conference room to evaluate a proposal that come in. And my CEO came in and looked at me like I was insane. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, oh, got a big project. I need these people's brains. Like, uh, no, no, that's not how it works around here. You know? And that's cool. That's her company, uh, not mine. You know, and and so. Um, I, I think you have to kind of look at that culture. You have to sit back and say, who am I? Where do I fit? What are the, what are the jobs in the iron that work for me? Are the million range? The, and, 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 are these, and then ask the hard questions of people who work there. Ask the hard questions of people who know them. And, and, then, and ensure that you're going to an environment that is yours. Now, on the employer side, and we tell a lot of our clients this, especially the really big companies, um, we had a great client, and, and they were hiring veterans like crazy, man. I mean, like nuts. And, and of all things, when they looked at their numbers, they were going down of percentage of veterans. And what we discovered was that they would bring a veteran into a certain department of this very large company that had multiple departments. And, and, and maybe it wouldn't be a good fit. Maybe that department or maybe that job wasn't a good cultural fit. And, and he would say, look, I'm not happy, and he quit and leave. And, and we said, well, wait a minute. Do you have a system in place that maybe he would fit in another department? You know, maybe you're a big company. Maybe he could go from, you know, this sales division to, uh, you know, insurance, whatever it may be. And, and they didn't, right? And so they're doing all this work. Guys are coming in, part of that, that 45% that doesn't make it, and leaving without an option. So we, we actually helped this kind of create a process where if a guy wasn't happy, especially a veteran, they said, well, let's see where you fit better. Let, let's, let's introduce you to some other departments. Let's keep you within our company, at least. Um, so I think there's two sides. That One, as a veteran, you have to understand who you are, what is the culture you're looking for, and, and can I find that? And two, as a, as a hiring person, as, and like, 
the scout comes, is this going to be a good fit? If it's not, how can I make it fit or send them somewhere else to, where they will fit? So it, it's hard to underestimate um, the power of the culture of a company or a job uh, when you go into it. And it's hard to – it's impossible to – you want to undermine that or dismiss it as not being important. Fred, thank you so much for sharing all the stories, the insights, and a lot of information that I think a lot of veterans don't consider when they're, when they're thinking about entrepreneurship and, and getting into the job market stuff. So I really appreciate that. Well, thanks. I, I really appreciate the time. I like sharing the story. We've come a long way in a short time. Yeah, of course. We're following you on Twitter at FP Wellman. And of course, Fred, thank you for your service to our country. Likewise. Thanks. I appreciate it. Same to you, Tim. And, and, and keep the good work. I said, uh, you know, I, 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 my shout out to VA is, and it, it really is true. I, I uh, even as a military retiree who uses TRICARE, um, the VA has been a very good friend um, to me. Again, when um, the Richmond District Office processed, or, or Roanoke, sorry, Roanoke Office, I was a desperate man when I finally submitted, you know, wait, got around to submitting my, my, my benefits package, and, and God bless, and they turned it really quickly and, and saved my bacon. So I, uh, you guys do great work, and I'm real proud of what you're doing over there. Getting out of the military, I was missing this camaraderie. It's frustrating when you try and talk to people that don't understand. I still had the anger. I still had the addictions, but we didn't talk about that. Came to a point where it's like, okay, I really need to talk to somebody about this. Family more or less encouraged me, you know, go, go to the VA. It's okay to go get help. It's okay to talk to people because it takes true strength to ask for help. Hear veterans' real stories of strength and recovery at maketheconnection.net. Veterans have been entrepreneurs for decades. Nearly half of veterans returning from World War II became a business owner or operator. If you're interested in starting a business or entrepreneurship in general, check out va.gov osdbu for information provided by the Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization. If you go to va.gov osdbu veteran, you will find our Veteran Entrepreneurship Portal, which has useful resources that will make your research and preparation easier. Finally, today's Veteran of the Day is Army Veteran John Kamen. I caught up with John in Washington, D.C. to learn about his service. My name is John Kamen. I served in the Army active duty from 2005 to 2008 as a 13 Bravo Cannon crew member with the 3rd Infantry Division. In 2007 was during the time of the surge, and my unit, though we were a field artillery unit, cross-trained to do motorized infantry. And when we got there, they said, you know what, you're not going to do motorized infantry anymore. We want you to be a police training team, a pit team. And so even though we had very little experience in that area, it taught me a great lesson in flexibility that the Army, the only constant in the Army and the military has changed. And you have to be willing and acceptable to do that. So within a couple of months, we were embedded with the local IPs, the Iraqi police in the area, and doing missions across the city to embedder the situation for the civilians. When I got out of uh, active duty, it was right around the time of 2008, and that was around the time when they reformulated to make the post-9-11 GI Bill a reality. And that allowed me to have a full ride at American University and get my degree there uh, in 2012. So now I'm the Assistant Director at the American Legion's Employment and Education Division. Our job is to ensure and advocate for the wellness of veterans and making sure they have all the opportunities available to pursue uh, wellness, transition, and education and economic success uh, once they get out of the military for them and their families. For John's full write-up and photos, go to blogs.va.gov. That's it for episode three. I want to thank you all for listening. I know there are a lot of options out there for entertainment, so I appreciate you spending your time with me. If you have any feedback or questions you'd like to have answered on the show, 
Please tweet them to us using hashtag VA podcast or emailing us at newmedia at va.gov. Be sure to visit facebook.com slash veterans affairs for more stories from our community. I'm Timothy Lawson, and I'll see you next week on Veterans Day.